listeners. Welcome to Grief Out Loud. Remember the last time you tried to talk about grief and then suddenly everyone left the room? Grief Out Loud is opening up this often avoided conversation because grief is hard enough without having to go through it alone. We bring you a mix of stories, tips for supporting children, teens, and yourself, and interviews with people working in the grief field. Platitude and cliche-free, we promise. Grief Out Loud is hosted by me, Jana DeCristofero, and produced by the Dougie Center for Grieving Children and Families in Portland, Oregon. This show is all about people having the opportunity to tell their story. These stories are born out of their grief, but they encompass so much more about who people are, what they value, and how grief has shaped who they are today. When someone is facing a death or grieving the death of someone, there can be an urgent and strong need to voice how these events affect everything. Some people are lucky enough to find friends and family, or maybe even strangers, who are able to listen, and listen without judgment or unsolicited advice. More often, though, people worry that talking honestly about their experiences with grief are going to either drive others away or open them up to a barrage of unwanted advice and negative judgment. These fears are part of why Grief Out Loud exists, to create a community of those who want to hear the stories and a platform for those who want to tell them. You know who was really the pioneer in giving people space to tell their stories? StoryCorps. Maybe you've heard of them? StoryCorps is a nonprofit that works to preserve and share the stories of people from all backgrounds. Here at Grief Out Loud, we're really excited about one of StoryCorps' new projects called Road to Resilience, Memories That Move Us Forward. In this project, they are partnering with children's bereavement programs across the U.S. to amplify the voices and stories of grieving children, teens, and young adults. Grief Out Loud's home, the Dougie Center, has the honor of being one of those programs, and we've recently kicked off this partnership by training 13 of our staff and volunteers to be StoryCorps facilitators. Joining me today is Modupeola Oyebolo, who is a national facilitator with StoryCorps and part of the Road to Resilience team. In her role at StoryCorps, Modupeola holds space for people to share the stories of their lives that are most important to them. Dupe, thank you so much for joining me today on Grief Out Loud. Yay, thanks for having me. So, so often in this work of holding space for grieving children and families, we bring our own stories of loss into the room with us. Since you were born and raised in Nigeria, you have a window into what it's like to grieve in your home country, but also here in the U.S. How have you experienced grief in your life, and what's it been like to grieve holding these two cultures? Yeah, that's a really good question. So growing up, I never knew anyone personally. Oh, I shouldn't say never, but when I was growing up, when I was younger, I didn't know anyone who died personally. I think one of my grandma's sisters died, and I went to that funeral when I was like seven. So I like had gone to funerals, and like I understood that death was a part of life and living, but it didn't really touch me until I was 19. That year that I turned 19, my grandma got sick and died pretty quickly in my eyes. That same year, she turned 85. I was starting to recognize my grandma as a person. For me, as I was growing up when I was younger, I experienced people like my grandparents and like my aunts and uncles. I didn't quite experience them as regular people. (laughs) Um, And I feel like at the time that my grandma died, I was going through that turn of, oh, wait, she's a person. 
almost like you start to see someone adult to adult, like, oh, you're a person I could interact with, not just someone who is here for me. Or like not just someone who is here to like, in my head, some of how I held adults like that was, oh, no, I can't be a person around you. You're here to like restrict and limit my existence in like some ways. (laughs) Her birthday was in May and she died in August. But it wasn't around May that I like started to recognize that, oh, wait, my grandmother is a person who is interesting, who I want to like get to know. Um, and she was only like sort of ill, like she had malaria, which is like having the flu. She came to our house for a while and she seemed to be getting better. So like I was getting to know her and it was this really like wonderful, magical time. And then the day before she got really ill, she also seemed fine. I think I remember thinking, oh my gosh, my grandma has a sense of humor. Like, we joked about something together. Like, I had one of those clicking, like, she's a person moments. And then she had what turned out to be, like, a slow building stroke. By the end of that day, she was no longer, like, conscious. And she wasn't conscious for, like, the next week, and she died soon after. Anyway, all of that is, like, a really long story to say that my grandma died when I was 19. And I remember being, like really shocked that she died even though she was 85 years old I remember telling my mom that yeah like when grandma died Cope died what I was really trying to say I think was oh I like had shed that childish naivete of everything will pan out exactly how I hope it will like that idea that everything is gonna be okay and turn out the way you imagined it might right exactly that was like my immediate lesson from my grandma's death. I think in Nigeria, like sort of like a sense of the spiritual and our like connection to like the spiritual is more foregrounded um, than it is, or than I find it to be in the circles in which I move in the US. Um, And so like one of sort of my initial reactions to my grandmother's death was, oh, after like this sense of like, oh no, Cope has died. My next sense was, oh, but I will see her another time in future because, like, I will die also, and then I will be with her. Carrying that sense of we are only separated for a time was very comforting for me. So this belief that there will be a chance to connect again and to see one another again. Right, exactly, exactly. Has that sense carried with you into your time in the U.S. and the additional grief that you've experienced since coming to the U.S.? I think in some ways it has. As I was thinking about this, I feel like like that sense of my grandma, of like, I will see her someday. I still carry it, but it's not as foregrounded. When I think of her and I think of what I lost in her, it's not the first comforting thought I get. And I think this has something to do with moving. But the first thought I get now when I think of her is more a sense of, what am I doing now to connect with her? And it's connected to my moving. In a way, it's like this is like a meta cross-cultural thing. Because after I moved, I developed like a more keen sense of what my grandma represented to me culturally that I didn't realize at the time, like when I was younger and hiding from her because she was an adult who was like limiting my freedom. After I moved, like, it became clearer to me that she was, in a way, like, a bearer of my culture, right? Like, she was the connection to my ancestors in so many ways. I don't know, she just held so much for me in terms of understanding and making sense of myself as a young 
Nigerian Yoruba person like moving through the world. I think after moving to the U.S., those questions became bigger questions in my life. And when I think of her, my new, like, I guess you could say grief response is to think, oh, grandma died. How can I find her again now by, like, learning about my culture, like, talking to her sisters? In a way, it's like connecting to her humanity, even though she's not here, but like connecting to the pieces of the the cultural elements of her time and of her life. That's one thing that moving moving between cultures has done to my like grief and my grief expression. I've become like very curious about my family history, and I'm like interviewing everyone about what do you know, and I'm doing all this research on Yoruba culture and like the time in which my grandmother existed. Her, her own father's time and his own mother's time, you know, and I'm trying to like draw all these links between them and me. Um, and it's my new way of making sense of that loss. Almost as if as when you were there, home in Nigeria, so connected to everyone and to the culture, and now that you are living far away from that longing and craving to know yourself in connection to your family. Right, exactly. And you you talked about your grandmother as sort of the historian, and I'm imagining that she is someone who was the storyteller in your family of how things were for her growing up. How do you see the power of storytelling unfold in your work at StoryCorps, of listening to people, being able to tell their stories? I mean, StoryCorps' name is StoryCorps. (laughs) So, like, you hear the word story right there. Um and I, I actually I like to like say that, and I like I like to point to that because it's sort of like stories are like the meat, like the bread and butter of what StoryCorps does. We're holding space all the time for people to tell stories about their lives. Um, There's a fact of the content of a story when people tell a story with a beginning, middle, and end. Sometimes it's just like documenting forgotten histories, right? Like that's what stories sometimes are. Like when I think of them content-wise. Um, but another way I like to think about stories and like the sort of relational quality of stories, by that I mean there's this question of when I'm telling you a story about myself, like what am I doing? Like what, what is the meaning being transmitted between us? Um, let me try to give an example. I always think of, so I moved to the U.S. and so like home for Christmas for me is like going to my aunt's house in Florida. My aunt has three kids who like all live apart. And so at Christmas, everyone comes together. And always without fail, someone brings up a story of something that happened when they were seven years old. And everyone in the room knows that story already. And my sense is that sort of what is happening when we are telling and retelling these stories is that we're reconnecting with each other, you know, like we're like, reminding ourselves of like who we were and how we were with each other in the past and then you like feel a sense of the time that has passed it almost sounds like this idea of even though there's not new content being shared the familiarity of the story gives us a roadmap back to one another to re exactly re-engage with one another yes that's such a beautiful way to say it exactly um yeah, like that like that's one of the things I think about when I think of like stories as like this like thing for like relationships. Oh, I mean there's even like sort of the more basic thing of 
depending on who I'm talking to, like the stories that I choose to tell about myself, like say something about the nature of the relationship I have like with the person I'm talking to. So if I was talking to a stranger who I just met on the street, the story that I tell them about myself would be different than the story I would tell my my like oldest friend Shade, like who I've known since I was three, right? And so like so much about the telling of stories is like in a way it's not like the content, but it's what it's doing in our relationships. And it's like what I find myself most drawn to actually about storytelling. I mean in the storycore recording booth we always say that so much of what happens in the booth is dependent on the relationship between the two participants in the space or like the three participants or however many participants are in the space. And I find myself paying attention to that the most when people are in the recording space. It makes me think with this new project, The Road to Resilience, and enabling families to come together and tell stories after someone in their life has died that's so often in families when someone dies, they have to re-know each other. Because mm. say you have, you know, parent and parent and kiddo, and one of the parents died. Kiddo and parent, one parent had a relationship. Kiddo and another parent had a relationship. Parents had a relationship. Mm-hmm. That person is no longer here. They have to renegotiate what does it mean for us to have this relationship of just the two of us? And how do we maintain a relationship with the person who died? What have you seen so far? What have you experienced in sitting in stories with families who are part of the Road to Resilience project? First of all, I just want to say that that was a very like beautiful way of like describing. <laughs> I'm like my head is still stuck in your comment. I can't think of my answer to your question yet. Um, yeah, that was just like a really be- beautiful way of thinking about. Um, yeah, the ways in which we're transformed by grief. And this is somewhat like connected to your question of like, what have I seen? And I think, yeah, a lot of what I've seen, honestly, I don't know. It's just like people are resilient. I mean, the program is called Road to Resilience. So that feels like like a little bit of a cop out. But also maybe it's just a really good program title. I'm thinking of like a conversation that I shadowed recently and was a mom and her daughter and like they were just like talking about their experiences following their dad slash husband's death and I mean they were really emotional but they were also like like I could feel the the strength of their spirits just like from sitting in the room with them that maybe is like my main takeaway people are resilient and like maybe that is the true place of like everything will be fine (laughs) As opposed to like how I thought about it when I was younger of like everything will be fine, i.e. everything will work out how I expect it to work out. Um, Maybe the true place of everything is fine is people are resilient. People like pull through. People like find a new place to stand. I think I like had also not quite registered how transformational an experience grief is so that's another thing that I find myself coming back to over and over. How people come like new iterations of themselves after like someone important in their life dies. It speaks to how powerful I think this project will be for grieving families in that, you know, you come together and you get to tell your story. And as you mentioned, grief is so transformational. And so people's core stories of themselves oftentimes get blasted when someone in their Mm. life dies like 
who they thought they were, where they thought they were moving in their life, the things that they valued, the things that were important to them, oftentimes that gets just like smashed apart. And so to have this opportunity to come together with someone in their family that they care about and tell their story now and to have an opportunity to, in a way, like make it official, you know, like here is the story of who I am now in this moment going through this heartbreak of grief. It just seems like a really powerful opportunity. Yeah, people are just reflecting more on sort of more questions, more core questions about who they are or like who their relationships are with the people who sort of with with their loved ones who are in the recording booth with them. You see this articulation of that thing that you described of like the reorganization of their relationships. People are like articulating it in this space. I don't know. It just like raises more, as you said, core questions. Yes, absolutely. So given your role at StoryCorps, you're so often the person who is holding space for the conversation, holding space for the recording of the story. If you were to sit down and be part of a StoryCorps conversation, who would you most want to record one with? I mean, in some ways, my grandma the two okay, can I do two people? Yes, you can do two people. <laughs> okay, because I think like these two people respond to like different parts of myself. I think first my grandma for sure. If I could like bring her back <laughs> to life, I would like force her into a story core booth. Hopefully I wouldn't have to force her. Hopefully she would voluntarily participate. <laughs> <laughs> I would ask her into a story core booth. Just because of like what I described earlier of how her death raised all of these questions about like who am I and how do I fit into the world? Who am I culturally? Like who are my people? Because I'm still like grappling with that so much, still wanting to understand that so much. And then the other person who I would really like to do a story corp interview with is a really good teacher who I had, Dr. Amanda Taylor. She was my one of my professors in my master's program at American University. And she's just like... I I don't even know where to begin. <laughs> She's just like an incredible person. In some ways, like it's that story core thing, right? Of like you want to like understand like how did you become yourself and like understand your vision, understand her vision for the world a little more. So those would be my two people, my grandma and the best teacher I ever had. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Or as you're talking, it sounds like the people you'd most want to talk to in this format are people who could teach you something about who you are, where you come from, and where you might be going in your life mm-hmm. by understanding them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because it's like you're reflecting so much on your life experiences, right? So I think of it as like a way of like making sense of oneself that like in the process of talking about yourself and reflecting on your life experiences, you're making sense of yourself. And like you said, who you are and where you're headed. When I think about storytelling and story course space and like who I would want to hold it with. And also like when I observe road to resilience, like those are a lot of the things that I come back to, like all these questions of the self. Well, Dupe, I'm so grateful that you took the time to sit with me in this conversation today. Yay, thank you so much for having me. This was great. And listeners out there, please stay tuned because as the Dougie Center moves forward in this project with StoryCorps, 
we will hopefully be able to incorporate some of the clips from the recordings that our families are doing into the podcast. And who knows, there may even be a full length feature podcast episode with some of those families as well. If you want to hear any of our past episodes, you can find them wherever you get your podcasts or on our website, dougy.org. Thanks for listening. Hope you'll join us again next time.